The following is brought to you courtesy of the No Phony Podcast Network, home of independent awesomeness. Corey Hain told me face-to-face what had happened. This is actually the first time I'm ever saying this on a podcast. You touch him, you'll come near him one more time. They will never find you. All right, everybody. Welcome to the debut episode of Deluxe Edition, yet another pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Casey Shearer, and with me tonight, Bill Seabold. How you doing, buddy? Hi, Casey. Good evening. How are you? Good, I man. love your setup. It's very attractive. Thank you. Why don't you tell everybody what our show is going to be about? So we are going to take a stab at going deep into some old pop culture. So the idea of you know taking a look at some of the things that we've grown up with and really liked and trying to uh, explore them a little bit more in ways that we haven't heard done before. We could be doing interviews. We could be doing anything. We're sort of building this ship as we go, working out the bugs as we go. So, you know, looking to have a lot of fun here, hoping to create something, you know, that people really enjoy. And I think you're really going to enjoy our first episode. We have a guest that everyone knows from movies such as A Christmas Story, The Toy, and Kid Co. Worked with the WWF. We talked to him actually on my other podcast. It's called On the Road with Jim and Casey. And this is a kind of a continuation of that interview uh, with Scott Schwartz. We go d- deep down the uh, rabbit hole of the Corey Feldman, Corey Haim, My Truth documentary. Scott answers a few questions that uh, we got from comments on our other interview with him. How do you think it went, Bill? When you say we go deep down the rabbit hole, <laughs> we go deep down the rabbit hole. Scott. <laughs> told us a lot of interesting things some damn things new damn things i've never heard in my life so you know scott was really fun to talk to he's super open super nice guy super uh you know just a, uh, he's got great opinions he's got great thoughts so i was fascinated the whole time i think this is like the longest interview i've ever heard in my life but i was like yeah tell me more like he kept going <laughs> i'm just super entertained so that yeah, was a good time yeah and i'm sure i'm sure we could get a part three out of him sometime too uh in the future I'm so. certain he has more to say. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah, I hope, uh, hope everyone enjoys the show. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Deluxe Edition Pod. And that's D-E-L-U-X-E-D-I-T-I-O-N-P-O-D. You look like you're reading an eye chart, like you're getting an eye exam. No, I'm just looking away from the camera, <laughs> hoping I don't fuck up so I, have to, so I don't have to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And don't forget, we got a new website too. So, deluxeedition.show. Awesome. Yeah, and you can find everything. Uh, just search for us on YouTube, Deluxe Edition, yet another pop culture podcast. Uh, we're everywhere. Enjoy the show. As I said before we got started here, I want to make this continuation of our other uh, interview with you. Let's um, pick it up, brother. We didn't touch on where you went to uh, school, you didn't go to like a regular high school you went to a professional children's school could you tell us a little bit about that 
like what that was like? My my freshman and senior years of high school, I went to my local high school with my friends that I grew up with in New Jersey. My sophomore and junior years of high school, because I was working, I had worked so much my freshman year doing the films and stuff like that. I missed so much time. They couldn't have me there. You know, attendance wise, I had to be there more. So it was quit show business and go to my local school or go to school at professional children's school, PCS for short, um, in Manhattan. It was, it was, it's not the performing arts school. It's just a school that the curriculum is set. It's what's in the books. So they could send you your tests, your assignments, all that kind of stuff, and just give you the textbooks and you could do them with the teacher on the set. I didn't work a lot, lot, you know, but it made it easier if I had to, to get out of there and, and not be counted against for attendance because that's not how they did it. My classmates, I mean, it was just one of those period of time that was phenomenal. It was Anthony Michael Hall and Alon Mitchell Smith from Weird Science, Malcolm Jamal Warner from The Cosby Show, Tempest Bledsoe from The Cosby Show, uh, Martha Plimpton, Ricky Lake, uh, Jennifer Blanc, who was on Angel, um, and she's married to Michael Bean from The Terminator, Jonathan Silverman, Rebecca Schaefer, who was the girl that, and my sister Sam, you know, she was there just as I got in, she was going to do my sister Sam. Oh my God, Christian Slater, uh, Hunter Reno, Janet Reno's niece, she went there. Katya Sassoon, Vidal Sassoon's daughter was there, you know, and amongst you know, a whole bunch of other people. There was a, um, a young man that was there, and he was younger. You know, it was basically a, a, I think it was third through, third grade through the end of high school. We were all in one building. And uh, there was a young man, man there. I think he was in like fourth grade when I was in 11th. Hell of a little dancer. His name was Savion Glover, who goes on to do Rent and other things, you know. I still have my yearbooks and he's in there and it's just really (laughs) funny, you know, but we had a blast, you know, we had a fun time. We were a wacky group of people. There's no doubt between me, Christian and Anthony Michael Hall. We left our mark on that school. You know, we, the shenanigans that we pulled, the teachers told stories to later classes. And when I, I would go back to visit, you know, and my, and I, I had my teachers that were still there, you know, They'd be like, hey, do you know who this is? Remember I told you that story? That's him over there, you know. So we, we had a hell of a good time, you know. I mean, and since then, you know, I mean, the, the school's over 100 years old. Wow. You know, Elliot Gould went there. I mean, it's, it's got a tremendous legacy of people that went there over, you know, the decades. Very Does a school cool. like that help set you up for, you know, the professional world? Do they, they have connections or is it kind of like you're done? You've learned, figured no, out no, your own next steps. No, no. This is a straight-up school. It's no different than going to whatever school you went to. You take math and science and computer and, you know, gym and all. It's the same kind of classes. Uh, it's just their curriculum ran different so that they, they could allow you to leave and go do movies or TV shows or whatever it was. You didn't have to be there to get your high school diploma or, you know, to graduate eighth grade, whatever it was, you know, you can be out of school as long as you send your tests in your teachers, your, your class teachers. Uh, I mean, your set teachers send in your assignments to the school or they gave them back to you and then you send them over to the school. 
your teachers in school would grade you, and you're fine. So it wasn't a performing arts. You get to learn, you know, all these different things. It wasn't fame at all. That wasn't what it was. Hmm. So in our other interview, we talked about your relationships after the toy with Jackie Gleason and Richard Pryor. Did you develop any types of friendships with the guys from A Christmas Story? Sure. Sure. Yeah, again, this is a time when there's no cell phones, no emails. So it's a little different, you know. Uh, We had home phone numbers. We had addresses. If you wanted to send, you know, a note, if I want to send a note to Peter, he was in Phoenix at the time. You know, I was was most friendly – with Peter as amongst, you know, all the kids, uh, RD, I did know we hung out in New York. I mean, I, he, I went to see him in Les Mis. He played Schwartz in Christmas story. The little brother, Ian Petrella, he played Randy Parker, Ralphie's little brother. He was so much younger than we were. You have nothing in common with him. So mm. I don't get back together as far as friends until much, many years later, I had moved out to California in 87 and I was out here I want to say maybe a year and a half and uh, the Sunday paper I always read and I just, I'm reading the entertainment section and there's a picture of a cast from a show called Boogie's Diner. Okay. It was a Canadian made show, whatever, uh, which uh, uh, James J. Bullock, Jim J. Bullock, James J. Bullock. And then the picture is Zach. I said, Oh my God, my home, you know, my buddy, I got to go find him. So on Fridays, Daily Variety would run all of the shows that were being shot with all of the production information. So it gave me a number in L.A., and I called the number in L.A. They're like, we're very sorry. The show actually shoots in Toronto, Canada, so you have to call the production office there. They gave me the number. So I called up to the office, and and the lady was like, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm looking for Zach Ward. This is who I am. She goes, "Are are you being serious? I said, well, yeah. She said, he's standing right in front of me. She put Zach on the phone. And I'm like, what's up, dude? He's like, oh, my God. And he was actually coming to L.A. in like three or four months. Now we all got some cell phone. You know, I mean, I had a cell phone, which was the old brick cell phone, you know, <laughs> that was $4 a minute from AT&T. But I gave him the, the, the number that I had locally. And he came and we, we, we just went like this. I mean, we were two peas in a pod. And, you know, we've been best friends ever since. So, uh you know, and then uh, uh, Yano, who played Grover Dill, he was in Vegas, and he's now he's in Atlanta. So it's like, no, we're all, you know, uh, there are some best friends. There are some good friends. There are just some friends. That's just how everything goes. You know, Bob Clark, our, you know, our director, you know, I, I, I re-hooked up with Bob, and, uh, I mean, he was great. Bob was great. You know, you want to you go to dinner with Bob? Be prepared. He was a vampire. He was a night owl. You know, if you call Bob at three o'clock in the afternoon, you get an answering machine. You call Bob at midnight. Hello. <laughs> you know, uh, him him saying let's meet for dinner is about the time you're going to bed or later. I'd meet him at Norm's in uh, Santa Monica at 11, 1130, you know, and he's ordering a steak or, you know, eggs and bacon. And what and this is this was Bob. You know, so there you go. Do you ever do any uh, any of the get-togethers at the Christmas Story House in Cleveland? Yeah, I mean, we were there for the opening. Oh yeah, know, we were we were there for the opening of it. You know the the sort of the backstory. The guy that bought it 
he actually lived local to my dad's store at the time. And he had come into the store as a kid to buy baseball cards and collectibles and stuff. So now you flash forward years later, <clears throat> he had gone into the uh, armed services. I think he was in the, the Air Force. I'm pretty sure a Navy, probably one of the two. And uh, he walked into my dad's shop and he's like, how you doing? My name's Brian. I bought the Christmas story house. I want you to be a part of it. You know, okay. So he brought us, you know, he, he brought us out there before they were finished. I brought, I, I went out there before it was done. And then when they had the big grand opening, you know, when I say we were all there, that's me, Zach, Ian. I don't remember if RD was with us for some reason in my head. I don't think he was, but he could have been, um, but not Peter, you know, Peter's just busy doing the stuff that he does. He runs, you know, Vince Vaughn's production company. He's directing, he's producing, he worked for John Favreau. I mean, so, uh, you know, he wasn't a part of that. That's okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean that, that, that was a nice, you know, four or five year run, six year run of, you know, going to the Christmas story house or having a convention or doing whatever, you know, we haven't done that in a while now, you know, so. Yeah, the place is pretty cool. It's right in, uh, it's only about five minutes away from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, downtown mm -hmm. uh, Cleveland. It's pretty neat if anyone uh, wants to check it out. There's a museum across the street. It has a lot of uh, the memorabilia and from the movie. So you, your, your famous scene from that movie, the, the tongue on the pole, mm -hmm. is now immortalized in a bronze statue outside of uh, the Indiana Welcome Center in Hammond, Indiana. What was, uh, what was that whole experience like? Why is it in, in Indiana? Well, Hammond, Indiana is the home of Gene Shepard, the writer of A Christmas Story. Oh, uh, okay. You know, so they actually have a, a uh, facility there, which is the Gene Shepard building, which is for kids. You know, they've got a rink, or it's for soccer or stuff like that. Um, but, this, but the Welcome Center is a state-owned and run facility, and they were monster Christmas Story fans. And I got a phone call, you know, how you doing? This is who we are. This is what we'd like to do. Would you come and, and, you know, come visit us and talk to us about this? So I went out there and they said, yeah, listen, we're, we're going to take you up. We, this is what we plan on doing. We're going to take you to the guy that we have hired to make your statue as long as you're okay with it. Okay. I mean, how do you turn this down? You know? And the guy that did it, his first name's Oscar. I, I can't remember his last name at this point. But um, he's the same guy that did Jerry Buss's bust over his at, at his gravesite. He did, uh, I think, Gordy Howe's, Bobby Hull. Uh, there's another. I, I don't think he did. He didn't do Jordan's, the infamous statue at, at uh, the United Center. Mm -hmm. um, but he's done like three or four other, you know, I mean, these amazing pieces of art. And he's going to do me. <laughs> so I meet him and they had, he shows me this whole thing. They had like 1,200 photos of my face. <laughs> Just these little pixels of, of every single, you know, whatever, of, of, you know, of my face that they had. And he was going to carve it and do it and all that stuff. Okay. You know, it, uh, I mean, it's an amazing thing. It's an honor people want to spend sixty, seventy thousand dollars to have somebody create a bronze statue of a small scene in a movie that's all of forty seconds and they picked me, you know. Now, 
I could be an egomaniac and say, oh my God, this is, you know, this is great. That statue and $4 gets me a cup of coffee and a bagel or whatever. You know, that's pretty much what it does. But it's from a legacy thing. It's really cool. It's really neat. There's less than 30 statues of actors around the world, not including like Hall of Fames and stuff like that. Sure. You know, you've got Jackie Gleason's got the one from the Honeymooners in New York, uh, you know, at, at uh, uh, the Port of, uh, not Port Authority. It's down in, in the, the financial district. Um, Henry Winkler's got one for Happy Days. Lucia Ball has one. Mary Tyler Moore has one. Jean-Claude Van Damme has one. Schwarzenegger has one. Then, then there's one of me sitting in Hammond, Indiana. I mean, it's, it's pretty funny, you know. That's cool. It's but, definitely cool. Yeah. It's played every year, 24 hours a day on TBS. You must make a ton of royalties from that, right? I, I make $1.60. Wow. They, when I say they, the contract that was drawn up was pre-Monster Cable days. I mean, it goes back to like 1980 was when the, the original contract was done. And they, the language they put in there is any movie shown on the same station more than once in a calendar day, you only get paid for one showing. Now, that's on cable. That's not ABC, NBC, CBS, you know, or what we know as Fox, you know. That's any cable station, even though it's a national showing at this point, because cable is everywhere. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the commercial time is different, you know, the, because everybody's local. You know, TBS, although it's a nationwide thing, uh, you guys get stuff from PA and New Jersey. I get stuff from, from LA. If you're in Oklahoma, you're in Oklahoma City, you're getting the local commercials that would run there. So the money is different as opposed to a national network showing where if it's, you know, whatever show it is, um, the blacklist, okay, that's a national show, national run show. So if it's a commercial, it's a national run commercial. You know, they do have some locals, but most of it is national because they sell out of the commercial time. So the finances are different and it's a sliding scale. You know, you get a lot, you get a lot, and then you get a little and you get a little. And, <laughs> and after the movie's shown so many times, there's a base. So we end up getting like 80 cents every time it shows on, on TBS, except for the marathon because it's, there's six showings and six showings. Mm hmm. So we get paid for one showing per day. There's your dollar sixty. Have a nice day. Wow. What was your role at a minor consideration? I know you worked there for two years. You were the president of that for two years. Is that to kind of help child actors so that doesn't happen to them? Or uh, a minor consideration is a five hundred one c three. It's a nonprofit. It has nothing to do with what we just talked about on Christmas Story because okay. it doesn't make any difference who you are. I don't care if you're Harrison Ford, Tom Cruise. George Clooney, Brad Pitt. It doesn't make any difference. It makes no difference whatsoever. It's all the same for everybody because it's cable. That's okay. just what that is. So it's not because I was a kid or we were kids, they took advantage. No. Standard everybody contract. A minor consideration helps former child stars, current child stars, and hopefully future child stars. Uh, legal advice, doctors. They try and get laws changed. There's a, a law called the Coogan Act which was for Jackie Coogan, uh, who worked with Charlie Chaplin. And it, it puts a certain amount of money into an account for a kid, basically like a trust fund until they're 18. 
Well, it was supposed to be a nationwide thing. And believe it or not, to this day, it's still not. California, New York, Illinois. Oh, God, I think there's two other states that they, it's, it's an absolute uh, a must. You must do it. You get a valid contract to do a movie. Okay, you must open up a Coogan account for your child. Money has to go in there. Most states don't have it. So they've been fighting this for years. And you wouldn't think there would be any opposition. Who's going to argue with, with having put some of the, of the kid's money into an account? And you actually have an opposition that says, we are the parents of children in show business. We should dictate what happens to their money. We've seen that road, mm-hmm. you know, you know, from Jackie, uh, you know, Jackie Coogan, who it happened to to begin with. And you go all the way up to, you know, Gary Coleman, you know, so, you know, parents have mismanaged money for decades and decades and decades. And that's just one of the laws that we tried to, to, to we, that they're, they were trying to change. They're still working on it. You know, my thing was to get the word out there. <clears throat> you want to educate people, you know, you want to educate kids, you want to educate parents, things to look for, things to look out for, things to do, things not to do. You know, if there's problems or issues, you have someone to call. You know, I was, in, I'm in, you know, growing up in the business, I didn't have anybody to call. You know, if there was something that happened, which it didn't in my case. Mm-hmm. There was an instance where there was a, a, a teenager. It was a girl on a show. And the, the working day, what is legal is eight hours. Okay, that's the regular working day. But promotional stuff is not considered part of the working day. That's just a bonus that the studios use. So after the kid does their eight days, they give them some food. They send them on their way. Oh, but five o'clock, you have to be here. And seven o'clock, you have to be there. And the next thing you know, you got a kid working 12, 14 hours a day because they're on a TV series or movie, whatever it is. And there was a one particular person that, was being just grinded. And the person's mother called and said, hey, what do I do? You know? And I ended up speaking with her and I said, it's not as hard as you think. Go to one of the producers and ask them, do you have any children? Would you grind your child? Your child is saying, mom, I'm tired. Mom, this. As the parent, would you not try and do something here so that this doesn't happen? The producer was very respectful said, you know what? You're absolutely right. So instead of doing four days of promo a week, we'll only do two days of promo. Would that help you out? Terrific. So it fixed the problem. Nobody got fired. Nobody got fined. Nothing, you know. It all went on behind closed doors and it was good and peaceful. You know, seeing what we've seen throughout years, drug use, alcohol use, you know, if there's a parent who says, hey, you know, my kid is 15, 16 on a TV series or whatever, having a problem, you pick up the phone, go online, find a minorconsideration.org. They will answer questions. They will help you, you know, with issues. You know, it, it was it was formed by Paul Peterson, uh, who was on the Donna Reed show, and he had a friend of his who killed himself because he had nobody to talk to and no, nobody to turn to. And that's why Paul started it. You know, and that's already uh, since 89. Yeah. You'll hear sometimes, you'll hear 
people say, you know, oh, child acting, that shouldn't be a thing. That should be illegal. It, it's, and sometimes you hear some older now child actors who are kind of like, yeah, it was terrible. It was so bad. But I've never really heard you say that. What are your thoughts on, you know, some of those, some of those comments that make it sound like it's a bad thing to be a child actor? Do children exist in the world? Right. What are you going to do? You're going to have TV shows and movies that don't acknowledge that children live. I mean, so, I mean, that's kind of dumb, but yeah. I had a good experience. You know, uh, I didn't, I, I had great, amazing people that I worked with. So in my case, I didn't have what, I'll, you know, some have, I was, I was always pretty mature for my age, you know, I was hanging with adults at five and six years old. So I got into showbiz at eight and a half, but I didn't think like an eight and a half year old kid. You know, I understood responsibility a little bit more than most. You know, when, when you're a child actor, everything is really formed on parental guidance when you're a kid, you know, mom and dad. Or, you know, whomever, if, if mom and dad are working and somebody else takes you to an audition or whatever – it's how they, they form you. If you have good, decent parents, you're going to get formed properly. If you don't have really good parents, you're probably not going to get formed properly, in which case it wouldn't matter if you went into show business or anything else for that matter. Let's face it. We all went to school with somebody who became a doctor, and we all went to school with somebody who's in jail. There it is. It's the, it's the same thing. The acting has nothing to do with it. Is there, a, is there opportunities for kids in show business that are not available to Billy Joe Bob from, you know, you know, wherever, Oklahoma, you know, or Nashville, Mississippi, whatever. Uh, yes, of course. You know, there's fame, there's money, there's whatever. I say, you know, if I had had children and they wanted to get in the show business, no problem. I've been there already. I know. I know the good, the bad, the ugly, what to look for, what to look out for, what's bullshit and what's real. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I've heard, you know, uh, sometimes you hear uh, an actor say, you know, I got addicted to cocaine, you know, when I was only 13 because I was in show business. And I'm always wondering, well, who's around and let you do that? And who's not there to stop you from doing that? At the end of the, of the day, a production is a job and you have deadlines and it's you have to be professional, you have to be on time and you have to be sober, I guess. So it's always. Oh, no, there's 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 people who are working, functioning at what's whether it's alcohol, drugs, pot, whatever. Wow. There, there is functioning people. There's no question. It's to each their own. You know, the blaming. It, it's, I love how you put that, Bill. It's, it's the blaming of show business. You know, I was 13, and because of show business, I got into cocaine. Well, maybe you probably maybe not should have been in show business. <laughs> you know, maybe you should have taken a different path in life. You know, but while you were 13 and you were doing that cocaine, did you at 18 quit show business so you could quit cocaine or did you keep going in show business because you needed money right. to buy the cocaine? <laughs> I mean, you know, again, there are doctors that are drug addicts. Now, who exactly do you blame that on? Do you blame that on the patient that comes in with the broken leg? Well, no, <laughs> you're a doctor. Sure. That's great. You know, there, there, there was... There was a child actor. He's no longer a child, of course, much older. But he actually told me how much pressure there was of being in show business. And I said, wow, really? Pressure? 
I said, man, those interviews must be kicking your ass. They really must. I said, it must be really hard to live in your house in Malibu, driving your $80,000 bow or whatever it was at the time. I said, man, that must be horrible pressure. I said, I'll tell you what, let me swap with you for a week. I live in a $500 one-bedroom apartment that I have an alcoholic next to me. I have a drug dealer next to them. And let's see how long you last when, you're, when you live under those constraints. Let me see how long you can go. There's no big money. You have to do what you have to do to survive. Take, take all of it away and tell me how tough, you know, doing a movie, sitting in the makeup chair, getting your makeup done, your hair done, you're learning your dialogue, you're, you're, you're honing your craft. And oh my God, you have to sit down with Access Hollywood for 15 minutes. Holy Jesus, this is hard. You know, this comes right under, you know, digging a ditch for the city. You know, you got to lay some new sewage down, you know, my God, you know, what's pressure, what's not pressure, you know, when you, when you have big budgets and stuff like that, it's normally ensemble pieces. There's not one person that runs an entire film. There's a hundred people in a crew, you know, so what is your job? Your job is to know your lines, hit your marks, do what you need to do. You don't have to worry about the lights. You don't have to worry about the camera. You don't have to worry about background no that's somebody else's job but if you're the one digging that ditch guess what you're the one digging that ditch you know mm -hmm. big there's a big difference responsibility wise yeah that makes total sense to me so scott since uh we're running out of time here i know you have somewhere to be in half an hour and no, no, uh, i'm good i'm good keep okay. going and we're talking about well that that kind of leads me into our next thing uh, you're very open about what you talk about with Corey Feldman. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked to you on our show On the Road with Jim and Casey. And uh, we got a lot of feedback on that episode. And I just want to read you a comment here that someone left on our uh, YouTube channel. His name is Touchdown Bundy. I have no affiliation with this guy. Love uh, the name. <laughs> so he says 14-year-old Corey Feldman introduced 28-year-old Dominic Raja to 14-year-old Corey Haim. 18-year-old Scott personally delivered 15-year-old Corey Feldman to 24-year-old porn star Ginger Lynn. 12 to 13 years later, in 1999, Scott was in a movie called Torn that was written by and starred Ginger Lynn. He fed Feldman to a predator and later worked with her. This is similar to what he blasts Corey Feldman for. There's so much hypocrisy coming from this guy. He also claimed in another interview that it was not molestation because she was attractive and 15-year-old Corey wanted it. That's not how it works, Scott. It doesn't matter if the kid wanted to do it or never regrets it. The adult is always wrong in these situations. Great. It's, it's, it's a great question. The layout of ages and facts are wrong so we can clear it up we're talking august of 87 i'm in la for six months Corey feldman is 16 i was 19 okay we had already met a couple times and whatever and i was the only one who drove he wasn't old enough to drive it he's 16 plus he called me up one afternoon Early evening, I should let's let's make sure we get the timeline right. It's probably six six fifteen, whatever it was. He says you need to drive me to the comedy store later. I have to meet up with Ginger Lynn, the adult actress. 
I said, okay, you're full of it. Because this was, you know, a time Ginger was a vivid girl and she was at her prime and all that stuff. I thought he's full of beans. He's full of BS. He's like, no, really, dude, I need a ride. So basically I became Uber driver of its time. Okay, fine. I said, dude, I got to see this for myself. I got to see it. I knew who she was. Okay, fine. So I drove him to the comedy store in LA on Sunset. We parked, go around the building to the back of the comedy store. Not in the building itself, just in the back walkway. And sure enough, there's Ginger and a few other people. Okay. Nice to meet you. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. We talked for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And I said to him, are you okay? Said, oh, I'm great. Thank you so much. I said, okay, goodbye. I'm out of here. I don't, I, don't need, I don't need to stay. That is the one and only time I drove him anywhere. Now, he's past puberty. He's had relations with other women. If his intent or her intent was to engage with him, that's not my business. Okay. From the being molested, I will give you my, me as an example. And this is actually the first time I'm ever saying this on a podcast because this is funny. I mean, it is. It is what it is. I was 15 and a half years old. I made the pass at an older woman. She was in her early 20s, 23, 24. I got together with her. Now, if that's molestation because of the age difference, then, then so be it. But I don't believe that because there's certainly no malintent of any kind. You know, she wanted to hook up with him. He wanted to hook up with her. Great. You know, and again, we're all looking at this now from the 2020 perspective, not the 1987 perspective. You know, she was a gorgeous woman. He's a showbiz kid, you know, 16 years old. You know, a young adult, you want to call him, because he is past puberty and all of that. Molestation itself is somebody pre, pre-puberty that gets taken advantage of by normally somebody, of, you know, in a, in a man's case, same sex. Um, it's not, this is not the definition of it at all. You know, it's the only time I ever drove him. I told the story on 92 in Howard Stern, on, on Howard Stern, with him sitting next to me. He didn't argue. He didn't say, no, you're wrong. You don't, you have it mixed up. Didn't say any of that. You know what he said? Hey, Howard, can you play my music? Can you play my new song, man? That's what he said. That's what he wanted to promote. Okay. Howard played 20 seconds of it and was just like, oh my God, dude, really? And that was the last he played of his music. It's really funny. So the actual what happened, again, if, if you want to go by the book, so to speak, you have to go by the book from 87 not the book from 2020. And it certainly hasn't affected his life. He's had three marriages. You know, uh, he hasn't, he's had open marriages, you know, does what he does. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. It's the way he wants to live. God bless, enjoy, okay? But it hasn't affected his life in a negative way at all. And it didn't affect mine either. You know, so I mean, the football Bundy or whatever it was there. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a great question, but he's also going by what the ages and story that Feldman has told, which is just not accurate. Yeah, it's a hell of a claim. It's a dangerous claim to, to, to make, especially if it's not true. And everything you said is completely reasonable. And it's, 
I'm trying to figure out where the gaps are. Like, how does a story like that sort of uh, grow and spin as, as it seems to be doing right now? Well, because nobody talked about it from 92 until all of a sudden he brings it up, you know, many, many, many decades later. You know, he's not happy that I'm speaking up and I'm not on, uh, on his team, you know, because it's BS. It's not a matter of being on his team or not. What happened? What is the truth? That's the truth. And that's what happened. You know, there are just many, many things over the course of time that he has said that are just not factual. This, he, he loves to use the pedo protector name when in fact he himself was friends with Dominic Braja. He's the one who introduced Dominic to Corey Haim. We all know what happened. He was still friends with Dominic Braja, gave Dominic Braja work. The, the movie busted, you know, in the, in the 95, 96, whatever it was there. He puts the guy in the movie with Corey Haim, knowing what he did to his best friend. How are you friends with this guy? How do you possibly not want to just hang him by a noose somewhere or put a bullet in his head? No, you're going to give him work because you're his friend. So who's a pedo protector? Are you going to, you're going to say, I protected Ginger? I mean, that's ridiculous. That's insane. Right. You know, yeah, I did uh, Torn with her. You know, she said, hey, I've got this funny role. I want you to do this with me. Sure. I put food on the table, roof over my head like everybody else. Yeah, didn't do anything wrong. You know, it was hysterical, the stuff I did. And I had, I had fun hanging, you know, hanging and doing the stuff with her. I don't actually think I'm even in a scene with her in that movie. <laughs> no, I think I'm in a, there's a, a woman, uh, Kylie Ireland. I think I'm in the scene with her. And an actor, Tony Tedeschi. I still sort of remember it, semi, you know. Yeah. Um, but I didn't do anything sexual. I just was there, whatever. But, you know, I'm still friends with Ginger to this day. She's a good woman. She's a good mom. She's a good person. You know, what am I going to say? She was bad because in her early 20s, she wanted to sleep with a movie star. Oh, my God. This is, you know, holy Jesus. We should end the world, you know. Was there you a know? falling out point? Was there something that might have happened and just... You two split, or is it just the way, you know, he's trying to promote something and it's revisionist history a little bit, and is it Hollywood that he's doing? You mean why I'm speaking, or what? No, just about the stories and about the things that are out there. He has to sell a product. This started day one when Corey Haim passed away. I mean, literally, this is how far back. It goes back over 10 years now, okay? Uh, Corey Haim passed away. And uh, within 36 hours, Corey Feldman went to Corey Hames' uh, apartment, and his mother and father were there. And he offered them money to shoot the funeral, edit it into the second season of Corey and Corey, the reality show, re-release it on television, put it out on DVD again. Now, what does that do? That makes him money. Okay. They said no. They spurned him. They, you know, there were a lot of superlatives that were said and obscenities that were said, and they threw him out. They said no. Now you go a couple of years later, you know, and you get the book that he writes. That's supposed to be his book. And in the first two paragraphs is Corey Haim. His best friend. This is what he does. So here we go. The Haims wanted nothing to do with it. He writes what he wants to write. 
can make up whatever he wants. Corey Heem is not here to speak for himself. Then he does a TV movie, you know, on Lifetime. And it's based on the book. The Heems wanted nothing to do with it. He can say whatever he wants. They can put whatever they want. Now you go a couple years later. Now he's selling a documentary that the first 40 minutes is bashing Corey Haim and his mother, the first 40 minutes. Now, if this guy is the best friend in your best friend in the world, how do you bash him and bash his mother? Mother's a good woman. I've known, I've known this person 35 years already. She's a good mom. You know, the father was a good father. Did they always get along? No, of course not. But fathers fight with their children or children fight with their fathers. However you want to say that moms and dads and and kids don't always get along. That's family, Mm -hmm. you know, but Judy Haim is a, a wonderful mother. She got other kids, you know, she got another kid, grandchildren out. This is a, this is a woman who since March 10th of 2010 has not had a day to grieve, has not had a moment's peace because Corey Feldman keeps selling this story. And there are other people that he's lied about because he doesn't care. He wants to sell a product. You know, if I need to mention them, I will. If I don't, people can just look up the article on TV fanatic. If they want really detailed on all of this, feel free, you know, People have asked me, why am I speaking up? I was there. It's the, I'm the only one that can do it. You know, Judy Haim can speak up. She's spoken up. She's a grieving mother. She can, she can stay home. She's had two bouts with cancer. Leave her alone. You know, there was accusations about Charlie Sheen, which are beyond utter nonsense and garbage and BS. Made up crap. Feldman don't like him. Okay. He's the great target. The tiger blood and the this. <laughs> But that's in the 2000s, not in the 80s. You know, a guy that's had done nothing but love women for decades. You know, the, you know Heidi Fleiss's book. It opened up page one, Charlie Sheen and his phone number. I mean, you know, this is the guy that's going to fiddle with a 13-year-old boy? No. Has there ever been anybody else ever to come out and say, hey, he did, he, nope. You know. There's actually sort of an, a, a logical way to look at it. The stuff with Bill Cosby came out. They took the Cosby show right off the air. Stephen Collins, Seventh Heaven, off the air. Corey Feldman and Dominic Braja say this stuff about Charlie Sheen. What happens? Nothing. <laughs> Anger management's still on. Two and a half men is still on, but all, you know. Mm-hmm. So nobody believes him except he believes it. Yeah. But who does it affect? You know, again, I, 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 I'm a logical thinker and a sensible thinker. Does it really affect Charlie Sheen all that much? No, because he knows what the truth is. You know who it affects? It affects his kids. Hey, dad. Yeah. And his father has to defend himself to his own children when he knows it's BS. You know, uh, the Alfie Soda Pop stuff where we all used to hang out as kids. Mm-hmm. That guy. He's got a daughter in college. She's being bullied. She's been bullied now for several years. Bullied, threatened. Oh, your dad's a da 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 da. This is what Corey Feldman said, and his her own. This this is a child. This is a girl, and she's getting bullied because of something that her father is accused of doing that he didn't do. But Corey Feldman says it, so that makes it accurate and right. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. no, That's something you don't think about very often. You're only thinking about the key players, and you're not thinking about the. 
the carnage. Yeah. That, of that comes, course. Yeah. You know, and again, when somebody comes out to defend themselves, almost in every single case, pretty much every single case, no matter what happens, they look guilty. I don't care what they say. You know, they could have been locked in a room for five years and somebody says two years ago that person was at ShopRite or, or Pathmark or 7-Eleven and committed burglary. And the person says, no, I was locked in a room. Oh, no, you weren't. How do, you can't defend yourself. It's, yeah. it's an, almost an impossibility. It's when other people were there, they had knowledge, they understood this. Corey Hain told me face-to-face what had happened with Dominic. He wasn't, he just didn't seem like his normal bubbly self one particular day, you know, many, 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 many years ago. And I said, dude, what's up? And he's like, nah, it's, I'm just, you know, I said, dude, what's up? I know you better than that. And it took me like 10, 15 minutes to get it out of him. And he tells me about Dominic. Now, I knew Dominic because he hung with the crowd. And I'm like, how many times did this happen? One time. Okay. That's it. Just once, right? He says, yeah. I said, did anybody else do anything to you? No. Are you sure? Yeah. Nothing else here? Nothing else? Nothing. No, nothing. Why would he lie to me? Why would he not say, well, yeah, this happened here or this happened there? No. This is what happened. Okay. You know, so I have to have, have taken Corey Haim at his word, knowing him as well as I did. When he had an argument with mom, who did he call? Me. Whose house, his home did he stay at or apartment did he stay at? Me. I cooked for him. I cleaned his clothes. You know, when he, you know, had issues with drugs or whatever. I, you know, hey, come, come. Come hang with me for a little bit. I'm not a drug user. I have a bottle of wine, you know, and it's not even wine. I'm bad. Y'all can laugh, but I like White Zin, White Zinfandel. So I'll have a bottle of whatever $8 bottle of White Zinfandel in my, in my, you know, refrigerator. That was me. So these, you know, these are, these are, this is what happened. This is what went down. These are the things that, that between he and I, he had no reason to lie to me at all. And he wasn't selling a product. Feldman is selling a product. You know, you, you, you both can attest. I'm not being paid for this interview. I'm not, I'm not going to get any money from anything that has to do with any of this stuff. Between, you know, of what happened between the two of them and around them and all of this. It's not why I'm doing this. Why am I doing this? I want Corey Feldman to shut up. Stop talking about Haim. Stop profiteering from his death. I mean, that's just a horror show. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just the way I feel. You know, how do you say it's my best friend and all you want to do is make money with him since before he was in the grave? He was in, still at the coroner's office. And Feldman's talking about money. I mean, to me, that's just wrong and disgusting. But again, that's me. Maybe not everybody agrees with me. That's okay. You know, you know, and I tell people, you know, you don't have to believe what I'm saying. You don't have to. I tell you to look at the source it's coming from. I'm not a druggie. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not a goofball. I'm not a whack job. You know, I've got a pretty good steady life for the past. 43 years of show business. That's my side. The other side, 30 plus years on drugs, you know, multiple issues with the law, you know, and then the rest of it. 
Look at the source it's coming from. And I'm not selling a product. Right, right. Yeah. Can't argue that. I mean, it all makes sense to me. It's all it's something you can look up and find and, and, and back yourself up with facts. Yeah. Listen, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, there are, are things that have been said about character in all of this. You know, part three of that TV Fanatic article kind of talks about character. And I say, let's see. I was married and divorced once, no question. You know, didn't work. Okay, fine. I didn't even go there. How about having a wife and a three, four, five, six-year-old kid and you're having sex parties in your house and the kid is down the hallway and if he's got to go to the bathroom, he's got to come out of his room or whatever. What could he see? You know, I'm not saying he could be a part of anything, but what are you possibly putting him into? You know, you're charging people a couple of hundred bucks to get in and then you're going to charge them to use a bedroom and charge them to use a cabana with a girl and then you get a champagne bottle in the cabana. You know, these are things that he did and you don't have to take my word for it. Just Google it. There's stories about it. Mm-hmm. Simple. You know, did I have my uh, foray into the adult industry? Absolutely. I put a roof over my head and food on my table. You know, I didn't put a minor in the middle of it. You know, there was none of that. You know, I did what was necessary to do to survive. If you're not getting work on one side of the fence and the other side of the fence calls, okay. Didn't harm anybody. Didn't go to jail. Wasn't on drugs. You know, worked for, you know, what they consider good companies. Wicked, Vivid, VCA, whatever. The, the bigger companies in, in adult. You know, I made a living. You know. Here, I need coffee, dude. I need food. <laughs> I need gas in my car. I need a roof over my head. And I really did live in that one-bedroom apartment that was 450 bucks a month with the alcoholic and the drug dealer next to me. I really did live there <laughs> in North Hollywood. Wow. I was going to ask uh, about uh, Dominic Braja, how, how no nothing came about him getting in trouble, but I see he died in 2018. Yep. Lucky so. him. <laughs> Well, again, people take for granted the knowledge and what goes on today. They always say, well, I would have. I would have. No, you wouldn't because that wasn't what was discussed back then. 70s to the mid-80s, you know, just around there, there was no such thing as stranger danger. Nobody talked about pedophilia. Nobody talked about child molestation in the open. Nobody did it. Yes, it was there, but nobody talked about it. So whenever somebody says, oh, I would have, I go, wait, take away everything you know for the past 30 years. Just, it goes gone. Now go back there and say what you would have done. You would have done nothing. It wasn't openly discussed. You know, Hain told me what happened with Braja, and I actually did run into him one time, you know, after that, because he wasn't really then hanging with Hain. You know, and I, I was much more on that side of the fence. Feldman had his own issues and stuff like that. And, you know, we were never close, but I worked with Corey Hain. So we were already close and tight and we moved into the same apartment building at the same time together and all that stuff. And I told Dominic flat out, I got a lot of friends, dude. Go ahead. Go near him one more time. You touch him, you'll come near him one more time. They will never find you. You will be in a box and nobody will ever find you. You'll be gone. 
you'll be fish food. I said, go ahead. Let him tell me something happened. I, and I told Dominic that. And he didn't, other than years later, you know, sometime later when Feldman hires him to do Busted. Yeah. You know, and there was a fight on the set. There was an argument. Hayne grabbed Feldman by the throat and threw him up against the, the, a wall or whatever and told him, what's he doing here? What are you, crazy? And it didn't come to blows, but Haim walked off the set. And, of course, then what do you do and how do you spin this and whatever? You can't tell the truth because it opens up too many questions. So Feldman spun it. Yeah, Corey Haim was having a bad day. I don't know if it was drug or alcohol-induced or whatever it was or blah, 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 blah. But he walked off the set. There's the spin, you know, on the set. Wow. You know, this is this – is, it, it's not as easy as this looks for me, you know. I have very, very rarely, and it's only been recently that I've seen any footage of Corey Haim from his acting career or interviews he did. For pretty much 10 years, I couldn't watch any of it. This was my friend. This was my little brother. Watching it, it just hurts too much. It's emotionally draining. It would just be, go grab Kleenex. You know, I, I, I sit and I've done interviews and stuff like that. And trust me, it affects me. I'm sick to my stomach. You know, I don't normally smoke as much as I'm doing right now, but it's where my stomach is at. I've got a knot in there. I miss this kid. I miss his smile. I miss his laugh. I miss his hugs. I miss him kissing me on the cheek. I miss the brotherhood. You know, he should be here. He was a good person. He was a great guy. Didn't have a bad bone in his body. And to to watch somebody profiteer from it is it's sickening. And yet there are people that believe what Corey Feldman has said for these years. You know, it's beyond, beyond wackadoo. Yeah. Again, you just have to understand the where's it's coming from, you know. And, and this new documentary, please don't spend the money. I don't care if you watch it for free. Just don't spend the money because all you're doing is putting money in his pocket. You know, same person who says, you know, oh, I'm $600,000 in debt from this movie three days after he had the big launch. He's in Jamaica at an adult resort with his wife that cost four or five hundred bucks a day. But he's in debt, $600,000. <laughs> the hell is going on here? But he's begging you to spend money so he can live like this. That's, that's what it is. You know, we're in the middle of the biggest thing ever on our planet. We're in the middle of a pandemic. He's not only begging for you to spend money on the thing, but he's, he's calling out the FBI to investigate. Hang on. Coronavirus. Corey Feldman. <laughs> Hang on. Let's think about this now. We have scientists, doctors, the, the, the amount of law enforcement that's spread out because of this thing, what they need to do. They need to keep people in line and, you know, do the right thing. So we need to stop people that work for the FBI from working on things that they're working on and the coronavirus. No, we need to stop that so they can look into Corey Feldman's claims of what's going on. I mean, that sounds perfectly logical to me, you know. When you actually think and believe that you're Michael Jackson, you're Prince, you're an icon of your era, 
and you still believe that, and your needs, you ready? I'm going to, this is almost the close, I know. I'm going to use the quote from Star Trek. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Yeah. Live long and prosper. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek was always ahead of its time, so. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, there it is. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- we appreciate uh, you getting the true story out there, Scott. And uh, the uh, invitation is open to Corey Feldman to come on the show and talk with Scott about this. It will never happen. I will post the invitation on Twitter, and I'm sure we'll get blocked. Probably. I mean, honestly, and again, this is not something that I want anybody to take wrong. I wouldn't want to do a Zoom meeting room or a podcast where he's one place and I'm another. Oh, no. You sit in front of me face to face. You want to do it? Let's rock. Because I have no problem standing on my laurels. And I have no problem standing on my reputation and my character and the kind of person I am and the things that I've done for people. Over the decades, I will stand on my record and line up the many people that will get behind me as opposed to him that this has been going on for years. Where do you see all these people coming to back him other than the Feldman team? Where are they? You know, he wants to do it. No problem. And I I actually, um, oh God, Joey Kamen. I don't know if you know who that is. He's a comedian for decades, but he's a very intelligent man. I worked at the comedy store with him. And he actually said to me, one of his comments on, on my Facebook thing was, he said, I would love to moderate a Q&A with the two of you. I said, absolutely. Make it pay-per-view and you give 100% of the, and you give 100% of the proceeds to Judy Hayman. Yeah, there you go. I don't want a dime, nothing. I don't want nothing from it. He won't do it because he has to profit from everything. Right. That's, that's the way he thinks. I've suggested, you know, somebody else had, had said something because I'm in, into wrestling and all that kind of stuff. Somebody said, you know, you should do something. I said, absolutely. No holds barred, WWE style. Me and him, no pads, no headgear, no nothing. Give me a ring. Pay-per-view, celebrity wrestling for real. All the money goes to Judy Haim. That would be awesome. Wanna, I don't want a dime. I would he pay for that. He will not stand in front of me and debate any of this. He has no balls. He doesn't have the balls God gave him. You know, I got to say, playing the victim for three decades and somebody believing you, if that's not crying wolf, I don't know what is. He plays the victim. This is what happened. This is what happened. Now, again, you guys are younger than I am, I think. Um, I, got, uh, I, got, I got nine days to 52. You guys are younger than me, okay? Yeah, you got six years on me. If something happened to you at 11, 12, 15, from, from a man's perspective, normally women are different, you know, and I've always said that, and I've talked to psychologists about it. Stuff that happens when you're a kid is different when you're a man to a woman, okay? But from a, a man's side, something happens to you at 11, 12, and 13, and 14, 15, and you're 49, and you're letting it run your life, you're, you're a whack job. You haven't matured. You have no idea what the hell life is all about. You know, you don't have the brains that God gave you because you should know better and, and you should run it, not let it run you at this point. He's the lifelong victim. So people feel sorry for him. They're sympathetic to him. 
give him work, give him jobs, donate to my to his GoFundMe. Please give me, please give me. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. Really? At 49, almost 49 years old? Grow balls, become an adult, understand how the world works, and move it along. Yeah. But yeah. he can't. He can't. Well, it's There's not so much a good more look. angels. And, hey, thank you. Bill, yeah. thank you. I've tried to do things the right way in my life. I've tried to live the right way. I've tried to be kind to people, be generous, you know, do things that you're supposed to do in life. Give back, you know, through be it a minor consideration or whatever, you know, give advice to people, help people, whatever it is in your own ways. You know, I've done that for decades. Yeah. No, you're a great guy. You're a stand-up guy. You know, everything you say. Am I a perfect guy? No. You know, you can ask my ex-wife, was I a perfect guy? No, I worked too much. That was her biggest complaint is I worked too much. Yeah. Didn't pay enough attention or I worked too much to pay all the bills. Okay. You're human. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I didn't beat her. I didn't drug her. I none of that shit. That's just not me. You know, pretty much anybody, 12 year old kick my ass. I'm all not even five <laughs> foot two. Okay. You know, so my ex-wife would have kicked my ass in three seconds. That's beside the point. But I just believe in being a good person. Yeah. You know, and I don't, again, I don't have to stand here and, and lay out all the things that I've done for people at them. You know, when the time comes, and they're going to they're be called upon. They're going to say, yeah, this is what happened. This is what he did or whatever the case is. You know, I'm just not that guy. You know, I'm not that selfish. I'm not a narcissist. I'm not an egomaniac. I'm not just a absolute fruitcake whack job. <laughs> fruitcake may be the wrong word to use nowadays. Somebody will tell me I'm <laughs> something against somebody. But, you know, logical, sensible you know, I live life saying logic dictates what? What's logical and what's sensible? Let's go from there and start from there. Yeah. You know, so listen, it was great to see you guys again. I'm sure we'll see each other again. Hopefully, God willing, we'll have Chiller, October, New Jersey, Parsippany, www.chillertheater.com. I love those guys. It's, yeah. you know, great crew. Hometown great show. show, more or less. You know, even if I'm not on the guest list, which I should be, but if I'm not, I will be there. You know, people want to come up and ask me questions, comments. You can be pro Corey Feldman. You can be pro Corey Haim. You can be in the middle. It's okay. I'm, I am nobody to shut anybody down from speaking. Right. I believe in our first amendment rights of the freedom of speech. I believe in the second amendment rights too. I don't own a gun, but I believe in the second amendment rights too. You know, it was so important that the forefathers of our country made gun ownership number two on the list after free speech. That's what they thought of it. Okay. I'm just saying, you know, I, I don't block people from my Facebook because they say something I don't like. Right. I have Twitter and Instagram. I just don't use them very much like Mr. Feldman, whatever you say something he doesn't like you're blocked. Both of you can attest to that. Yep. I can't make the shit up, man. <laughs> it is what it is, you know, and I'm, I'm not a member of a pack, the wolf pack. Yes. I haven't been brainwashed, you know, by, by Judy Haim. You know, she's not Al Capone. She's not Judy Capone here, the leader of the wolf pack. I mean, it's a bunch of nonsense. Think for yourselves. Just look at what's out there. And there you go. 
Don't be blind. Open your eyes to everything. Yeah, perception isn't always reality. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And just because somebody says it 1,400 times does not always make it right. Hmm. You know, right. whatever it is. Uh, you know, the thing about Corey Haim having a child. There was a thing out there that supposedly some girl went to Corey Feldman because she could get a hold of him and said that she had Corey Haim's child. So they got a hold of Judy and they, they – said, yes, we can do a DNA and all that kind of stuff or whatever. And, of course, it's not – there's nothing there. You know, it has nothing to do with Hain. There's no wow. child of his or whatever. But Feldman every so often will still spew that one too. Mm. You know. Wow. Oh, we had a child that they didn't acknowledge. <laughs> huh? Damn. Well, well thanks. <laughs> cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, man. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for, for doing this, Scott. And tell everyone where they can find you. And all that good stuff. Uh, you know, I'm again, I'm kind of old school. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter. But I'm not a big Instagram or Twitter guy. It's just that's just not who I am. You know, I don't need to tell people, you know, yeah, it's 1207. I need to go to the men's room. No, I don't need to tell anybody that, you know. Um, you know, I don't need to check in every time I hit 7-Eleven, Burger King, McDonald's, or wherever. You know, Monty Steakhouse, doesn't matter. That's just not me. I don't do that stuff. Um you know, I do have a Facebook page. Um, I don't accept everybody's friends' requests. That's just the way that that goes because, you know, I got 3,300 friends or whatever. It's like, okay, fine. Some I do accept, some I don't, you know. You know, just depends on my mood today or whatever. But I will be at Chiller Theater, the next one, which should be October. You know, after that, I'm just not sure because we don't know what's going to happen right now with appearances sure. and shows and traveling and all that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I, I just wish everybody to be safe in whatever former fashion that they do that, you know, be healthy. Don't be stupid. You know, I'm, I'm sort of one that I'm, I'm a statistician and you know, what's going on right now with the lockdown and this and that, and you know, people can say I'm an ass and I'm uncaring and then I'm feeling, and I, I get all that, you know, I feel bad that people have gotten sick and died. People get sick and die every day. Emphysema, the flu, drunk driving, whatever it is, you know, this is another virus that's hit us and okay. But the numbers of people who have it, how many people have passed away when there's 350 million people in this country and it's affected 0.0003%. We're shutting the country down for 0.0003%. We're killing our economy, people's lives. There's probably going to be 25 to 40 million people in this country over the next month that file bankruptcy. They're not working. They can't, for whatever reason, they can't get unemployment or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. People, you know, maybe some people will lose their homes, but, you know, that's kind of a little bit tougher because they're kind of, you know, the, the mortgage companies are kind of being cool with people. But there's going to be devastation. There's no question above and beyond whatever you see. So, you know, again, it's the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. You know, unfortunately, and again, I'm, I'm not belittling anybody. One of my friends that lives in South Jersey, his brother passed away from the virus. He had asthma, diabetes. It happened. He's 30, he was 37 years old. Wow. That hurts me. It makes me sad. I feel sorry for them. But again, I feel sorry for anybody that gets sick. AIDS, you know, alcoholism. You know, uh, there's so many, 
you know, things that, that harm people and get people sick and die and whatever. But are we willing to absolutely throw everything? People don't understand. They look at all this and all that. I'm like, no, you don't get it. The entire economy of our country, all of it, everything that we think, that we take for granted, the littlest things, your earphones, not not Bill, your your earphones. The, uh-huh. the, okay, how much were they? Uh, fifty bucks, maybe. Okay. Now understand what fifty dollars means to somebody in, in Louisiana right now that has nothing and needs few food. Yeah. You know, that's what's going to go on here. The almighty dollar is gone. This is all going to be gone if they don't do something fast. You know, and it affects everybody. And I feel sorry for everybody. You know, and I'm sitting here in my home and trust me, things are not great for me either. I lost shows and appearances and money. And, you know, I'm, I'm on the skin of my tush right now. I'm trying to do some internet sales and praying to God I can sell some stuff to pay most of my bills if that's possible. But I'm probably going to be in that bunch. I'm probably going to be in that BK bunch yeah. at 52. Did I create this? Right. No. If we were living good, if this doesn't show up, everything's fine. Yeah. We just keep going. We keep working and paying our bills. This is what's happened. You know, you can't let it destroy you. You have to be the bigger person, the stronger person, no matter what happens. You know, yeah. know that, that it's not personal. This just didn't affect you. It affected everybody. Right. You know, and even can't even say everybody in the United States, the whole planet, the whole planet. Yeah. Whenever, it's insane. Again, I never thought we'd see anything like this in my lifetime. I don't think anybody did. Of course not. You know, who to blame, what to do. Let's get through this damn thing without basically destroying the entire country as we know it. You know, economically, psychologically. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty strong-willed person. I'm going to be able to handle more things than most. There are people that are sitting in their homes depressed or sitting in their apartment depressed or thinking about killing themselves. Because of this or that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a horror show and it's horrible. So just everybody be safe. You guys be healthy and well. Take care of yourselves. You know, every so often say hi so I know you're okay. Absolutely, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. And uh, I know you, you you mentioned you missed a lot of these conventions because of this pandemic. Is there any way that people can uh, send you PayPal or anything to get like an autographed picture or anything like that? You know, I don't really do that. You don't do that? Again, it's just that's just not what I do. Sure. My address has somehow gotten out there on a website, and I, you know, I'm attempting to have them take it down. And it's not like, you know, I'm like that private of a person or anything like that. But what's happened, though, is, is the exact opposite of what you suggested. If somebody finds me on Facebook and they do whatever and they say, hey, listen, my son, my kid, blah, 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 you know, I'll give you a few bucks or whatever. You know, I, I charge for autographs. That's one thing. It's another thing when I get mail of a eight by 10 or a 16 by 20 and it's from whomever in Ohio or uh, Kentucky or whatever. I'm a big fan. Would you please sign this and send it back to me? No attempt at payment. Yeah. No no attempt at return postage. You have to pay for the return postage. I have to pay for the return postage of a free autograph that they want me to sign. I'm not kidding. 
Wow. Fan, it's fan mail, and I get it, and I don't respond. Yeah. You know? I say, you know, thank you for the item, you know. If they want to do something the right way, you know, I would probably, I would probably consider it, you know, because of the situation. And, you know, there was a youngster, and I want to say he was nine, ten years old, something like that. He had played Flick in a play this past year in the Christmas Story of the Play. And I think it was his uncle, if I remember. And he's like, hey, this is, I think it was his uncle, my nephew, this and that, blah, blah, blah. Listen, I'd be more than willing to pay you. He was Flick. He's really depressed with this thing. He can't see his friends. He can't leave the house, you know. So, you know, he paid me a few bucks. Okay, fine. And I sent the kid the photo, and he took a picture of the kid with the photo. And the kid was lit up like a Christmas tree. How happy it made him. Yeah. Awesome. That made me feel good, you know, that it affected the kid. Yeah. You know. So, you know, people find me on Facebook. It's my name, you know. I am who I am. Cool. Well, hopefully after all this is over and uh, everything's open in October, we'll see a chiller theater and maybe we can sit down face to face for one of these. Okay. That sounds like fun. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again, man. You guys take care. Be well. You too, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nothing new.